Hey everyone, and welcome back to Millennial Mind. I'm so excited to tell you that I've got a new summer series with a very special guest and one that you all loved when she came on my podcast. Every week, I'm trying to make this podcast better for you, and I only ask for one small, tiny little favor from all of you, which is to press the subscribe or follow button wherever you're watching this. I'm so excited to introduce you to this very special series, so let's get into it. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. So, here we are again, your favourite duo, <laughs> Rona and Shivani, in particular order, but in that order. Here we are! Narcissist is here! <laughs> I'm happy you did that intro. Rona did an intro before and she was like, so here we are, again. Listen, I was giving it like seductive, sexy and cool, like we don't always have to be happy clappy, right? Seductive That's not the vibe, like to- toxic positivity. Like, yeah, I know. That. Well, today we're actually exploring that topic because we're talking about the inner critic. Yeah. And it's something I've wanted to talk about a lot because I feel that not only do I have such a big inner critic, but I think a lot of people do because a lot of people message me and they say, you know, I'm so critical of myself. I know that I shouldn't be doing this, but when I'm having a bad day, I beat myself up. And when I'm having a bad day, I just think of every horrible thing about myself and I exaggerate it. And I always compare myself and be like, I'm not that nice. I'm not that good. I'm not that creative. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And I just go into this rabbit hole. And I really want to talk about how we get out of that and also kind of normalize it. Because I think when you go through that, you're almost feeling, oh my God, I'm such a bad person. But everyone does it. What do you do actually? Oh, all the time. To be honest, I was like literally about to... I get emotional about it, I'm not going to lie. You know, the inner critic is something that I think exists in a lot of us, not all Mm -hmm. of us. I do think some people hype themselves up, you know. like sometimes, Yeah, sometimes, like, you really could benefit from a bit of imposter syndrome. (laughs) You know, there's people people that literally think they're amazing and they don't have that, like, self-reflection. I I know who you're talking about. Do you actually? I mean, there's so many people, so I'm not sure. I know who you're talking about, but I don't think, I don't actually Oh, lol! I think think people do have an inner critic. Yeah, but I think there's some people that don't actually maybe it's cognitive dissonance right mm-hmm, so cognitive mm-hmm. dissonance is when you actually tell yourself a different version you dissociate almost from the truth and the Correct. story that you tell yourself is to make yourself a better and I think that's a coping mechanism it in is. a way so in a way people would have that but because they have that cognitive dif- dissonance they can cope yeah essentially which yep. I very much don't have but I think that the inner critic for me has always started has started really as young, I think, as sort of like 
seven, eight, nine mm-hmm. years old. And I think that's when I started recognizing the impact and the influence that my parents and people around me had. And there was this sort of need to impress people and make people feel happy. Yeah. Do you feel like it started young for you? 100%. I grew up in an in a Indian family, but not just like me, my mom, my dad, and my brother. It was me, my mom, my dad, my dad's brother, my dad's wife, my grandma, their two kids. So there was so many of us in the house. And what that does is actually invite a lot more opinions. Because mm-hmm. naturally, when you're growing up, your parents will say, don't do this and don't do that. Well, I had two sets of parents and my grandma and my two yeah. elder cousins telling me not to do that. Yeah. And I remember growing up feeling very, very, very conscious about my speech what I used to say and how I used to act mm-hmm. in every single way, in so many ways. And look, I love my family. We're all incredibly close. But I think it was very natural in that way for them to all be quite protective, like older siblings and also kind of like second parents to me because naturally when you do something wrong, you hear your mum or your dad say it, but there was like nine of us in the yeah, house. Yeah. And so there was more and more people telling you stuff. And so you're more and more conscious. And I think if you talk to a lot of people, they all have that similar experience of when they were younger. If they were told off constantly for doing something, when they're older, they're very, very, very critical. And especially in Asian culture and in Indian culture, you're always taught to think about what other people think. What will other people really? think of you? What will other so people in, say? So it's almost instilled in you. A hundred percent. Like from a young age that you should be validated, right? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, that that phrase is so well known because people are constantly saying, well, what will that person think of you if you did that? Even the fact that I've just moved out. Someone said to me, what if people think you're living with your boyfriend? And I said, let them think that. I'm not. And I, I'm okay with you thinking that because that's your opinion and it's not true. So if you're going to think that, then that's on you. I'm not going to not move out before I'm married because you don't think I should be yeah. moving out before I'm married and because you think I'm living with my boyfriend yeah. secretly. Yeah. I don't care anymore. And I think I've become a lot more resilient as I've gotten older to really be true to my actions because if I wasn't true to myself and I didn't do the things that I believed in, I would never be sitting here today. I'd be in my corporate job, literally at the office right now, doing what everyone told me, or I'd probably be a lawyer because that's what my parents wanted me to be. I think it's such a tough one, right? Because also, like, being from a Middle Eastern background, and particularly my grandma was so, so religious. You know, really? she was Christian, and she was like, I grew up with, like, Christian guilt all the time and having to feel like I had to do anything or I literally was going to tell God was going to judge me, and I had this. And in a way, like, it developed this real sense of kind of innate perspective of like what's right or wrong like I innately knew what was right or wrong because I kind of grew with that I guess it's because of you know because of my grandma being like this is you can't lie you'll get in trouble you know what I mean? you can't mm. cheat because you'll get in trouble so I think I grew up with those like really strong values instilled in me but there was very much like people are very aware of you what you do what you look like etc and mm-hmm. It's so funny because in therapy, I'd spoken to my therapist about it. And I was just like, what were you like when you were a little girl? And I was like, I remember I used to love the camera when I was a little girl. And I didn't care. Ovs. And I was like, (laughs) I didn't care what anyone thought. And I remember like pushing away. um, Like my sister was really shy or like my cousin. And I was like, I was really shy. Can you believe that? So there's this video of me. (laughs) (laughs) Times have changed. But I'm still shy with certain things. Like I'm shy when I'm singing. Like, really, really, really shy. And when I was younger, I used to always be forced to sing because I was actually quite a naturally good singer. And I, there's a video of me when I'm, like, three. Mm-hmm. I'm literally three years old. And I'm, like, singing with this mic. My mum's trying to video me. And I'm like, I'm shy. I don't want to do it. Yeah. I think I was always very, very, very conscious because, especially with singing, I had this reflection recently. I would think I would want it to be, like, a professional singer. And I would think people would compare me to a professional singer. And if I wasn't the professional singer, which I wasn't, I would think I was crap. And therefore, I wouldn't sing. I wouldn't even sing in front of my parents. I would feel shy in front of my own mum and dad. And they, to this day, will still say I'm Celine Dion. You know, they will literally think I'm the best singer in the whole world. 
But even in front of them, I'm so conscious. Do you know what's so funny, though? The one that's crossed my mind as you say that is that often many of us don't do anything because we're so scared that in the pursuit of something that we won't achieve perfection. 100%. So we don't even start it, right? So, for example, like you said, you didn't sing because you were so afraid that you weren't at the standard that you thought you should be. Exactly. And people sometimes ask me, like, Rona, how do you do X, Y, and Z in your career? Or how do you do this? And I was like, because I actually don't care about being perfect. I don't care. For me, it's just about starting right so and that's why I said because when I do something with so much love and passion and imperfection there comes authenticity and I think authenticity is what matters because even when I was like I put you I'm going to be completely honest now on like a pedestal I was like (laughs) Shivani is the actual bee's knees and I talked about you so much and that's why you know we first made content like I was like your podcast is so big and so impressive and so great that actually I don't deserve to be on your podcast yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we've spoken about this because, you know, I introduced you to a few guests, etc. Mm. And I never asked you, because I have this motto of like, you don't ask, you don't get. But I thought, you know, this is something that if she wants me to be on it, she's going to ask me. And that means that I've reached a level that should be on her platform. Then naturally, obviously, we got on really well. We recognized that we had a lot to offer the value that we could give to people. And I think that's where that relationship flourished. But instead of over planning, as you can see, I'm like, <laughs> I believe in the process. I just start so yeah like just do it yeah just yeah. start like obviously having a plan in place is mm-hmm. super important and taking those little steps but just starting is a step in itself and look at you now you're a resident guest with my legs crossed yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but you know first of all by the way you've put me way much too much on a pedestal because it's really not that big she's actually not that great in real life no, I'm, <laughs> joking. I'm joking i'm joking i'm joking so <laughs> but you know i've all i've talked about this so many times and i just recently did a video on how i grew my podcast mm. and you know i wish someone told me five years ago just believe in yourself and do it mm. that's my biggest piece of advice to anyone in life is believe in yourself and do it because so many people told me you're never going to make money from it you should never do it and then there was loads of people that told me quit your job and do it and just you know it was such a conflict of opinion I never know who to believe and it's only when I actually sat down and I do these things that I love them so much you know I haven't recorded now for two months and I feel so happy and excited today even though we're on like our fourth video I feel like very well I'm on my fourth video I feel really 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 excited because this is what I love this is what I'm so passionate about I feel like it's work No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I also do not agree with this phase of if you find something you love, you will never work in a day in your life. I think that is complete and utter bullshit because with this podcast, it's not just this conversation. It's the editing, it's the thumbnails, it's the coordination, it's the constant reviewing, it's the 15,000 edits on TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. It's not just this podcast. Mm -hmm. There's loads more that goes in underneath it and I don't really love the underneath work. But this conversation is what I love. And so I think that phrase is like a little bit outdated. But anyway, going back to kind of the inner critic and, and this fear of starting... It's parents. I'm going to just say it before you say it. What? Yeah, I'm going to say that I think the inner critic is born out of the conditioning that we have from our parents. And I'm not blaming them because I think most parents have done the best that they know and they could. And particularly the generation of our parents, they didn't have access to things like mental health, self-work, particularly in my parents. You know, they're Mm -hmm. immigrants for the Middle East. And it was like, okay, we need to survive the war. My mum was like, I need to survive the mid-like civil war. My mum got kicked out of Uganda. (laughs) So literally, it's like survival had a completely different meaning. So they're not sitting there worrying about like anxiety because, you know, of the things that we worry about they just cope I think that you know when I speak to my mum and I tell her about all these things she's so happy I'm doing that work and this is one of the reasons why I love my mum so much and I think this is what we need to encourage from women if you have been through something and you wish it was different put that upon your child put that upon your friends yeah right do not incur the same trauma onto your friend or your child because it's like well I had to go through that 
But I think it's such a subconscious thing, though, Shivani, if I'm honest. No, be conscious of it. Totally, but they don't understand that being conscious is also part of doing the work because even I, like, when I see sort of like patterns repeat itself, because I, so for example, right, you're going to learn this about me. Uh uh, here we go. I have a very strong inner critic and anytime anybody is upset, I blame myself, okay? And when I blame myself, I become quite defensive as well and I feel that I'm being told off. And I think if I think about it now, it's because when I was a child, again, my parents did the best work that they could. Mm. I always felt I was being told off because things were my fault. So if I was being a child that was like a bit hyper and I would drop the Coke that was on the like table, for example, my dad would tell me, off and I get a little smack on my hand or whatever you know yeah and I think that you know that constant like you've done something wrong and especially by teachers has made me feel that it's always my fault and so really interestingly I got just got back from South Africa I think you know you know I've been on this trip and there was somebody there that didn't know me that well and she had expressed that she was annoyed because I didn't come back to the campsite I didn't come back sorry from the campsite to the stage because it was a festival um when I said I would but then I got lost and it got cold and the person that was going to take me back it all fell through and I felt like she was telling me off and I immediately became really defensive and she was like I'm not angry with you I stipulated that I'm not angry with you why are you getting defensive and I had to later on explain to her because I'm working through that that Mm. defense is my familiarity so when you become defensive as I do it's my familiar state to protect myself it's my survival mechanism so I actually don't know any different because it's me as a child becoming like I didn't do anything wrong I didn't do anything wrong do you know what I mean and it's like I can't get rid of that and that's the inner critic that blame but also that defense that I need to survive somebody's like kind of telling me off how interesting Mm. so as you were speaking I think I have a really similar experience to you but I'm not defensive I actually just lash out and I lash out at myself. Oh, I'm very yourself. reactive. Yeah, Not to the other person. Well, I'm. I think. I think when someone tells me off, I'm. I am reactive, and then I, for about a day, I'll think about the example, and I have conversations with them in my head, and it's awful. Yeah. I hate that. Like, I think you're so right because when I got told off when I was younger, it was always like, oh, you spilt this, or you did yeah. this wrong, or you know, didn't um, work hard enough, didn't revise enough, you didn't pass. Literally, maths, you know, like, yeah. yeah, you're so right. I think that's why I actually get so much anxiety when someone's like, I need to tell you something. I'm always like, <gasps> yeah, me too, me too. What have I done? But, uh, you know what? That is my instant reaction. Yeah, Sometimes always. When people go, hey, I need to speak to you about something. I go, I go, is everything what have I okay? Done? And actually, yeah. this is really interesting because I spoke to my friend Vicky about this and I said to her, I always say I'm the problem. That is always Me my too. default. I am the problem. And she, we we actually spoke for an hour about this over dinner because I said to her, like, I always feel like I'm the problem with any situation. I will look at it as if, like, I'm the problem. I've done this wrong. It's my mindset. It's my viewpoint. It's my insecurity. And she was like, you know what? Sometimes, Shwani, you're not the problem. Because what's happening with this particular situation is you've changed your mindset. Mm. You've changed the way you've approached to it, approached it. And guess what? It hasn't gone away. Yeah. So you're not the problem. And she was like, what, what happens is that because because you always think it's you're the problem, you're responsible. Yeah, 100%. And that's why you're so critical because you feel you need to fix it and you feel like you need to overcome it. Do you not feel like as also you get into this like mode where you actually try to fix the problem? Oh, like yeah, you all do the time. everything you can yeah, yeah. to try and make that person feel better or like come up with solutions for exactly. them. Exactly. Or do everything. I go into this massive overcompensation mode and it's 100%. so exhausting. But I think that that is the inner critic. And one of my favorite accounts to follow is the holistic psychologist. I think I told you oh, about yeah, Nicole yeah, yeah. Ferreira. Yeah, yeah. And she 
is amazing because she talks about so much conditioning and I think it also describes things like attachment style. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a great book called Attached. I don't know if you know it, but it talks it. about our attachment styles in relationships. So for example, we can have an avoidant attachment, which means that in relationships, even if we like being in relationships, we tend to have avoidant tendencies. So we might go for long-term relationships. We value alone time. When it comes to real commitment, we make excuses like, oh, they're just not the one. I just don't feel it, etc. They have like these avoidant patterns. Then you have somebody that has an anxious attachment style. So they're the ones that need the constant reassurance, the text messaging. Someone doesn't say where they're going or where they are. They're like, oh my God, anxiety. People with secure attachment, which don't have any of these issues. And I'm in the niche of like anxious, anxious, but avoidant. Do you know what I mean? And basically, again, that's all about your childhood. And I think that's where like the childhood has an impact on that inner voice that carries you throughout life. Mm-hmm. And having that awareness is a huge step. Like I said, like, I have that awareness, but changing the dialogue and narrative is really difficult because although, for example, in Africa Burn, I was like really defensive I knew I was being defensive. She called me out on being defensive and I had to explain to her, I have issues that I have not worked through so I tend to become defensive because I feel like I'm protecting my inner child. I actually said that to her and it sounds really weird, but being vocal about it almost made her understand the way I react and it made her more conscientious of the way that I am and a little bit more sensitive. I think we all have our own baggage, unfortunately. I know no one wants to kind of admit that, but we all go through different childhoods, we all go through different patterns in life we all go through different parents and different friendships that have a real big impact on us i spoke to this neuroscientist who said that from three months when you're in the womb gabble says the same right everything that's going on has an impact on you it's mental isn't it zero to seven years old okay so it's I'm, the most important time so i'm going to throw a little bit of a spanner into the works right because i think again there's a real danger of what is going on, particularly in social media, where people are very aware of the inner critic and the inner child as well, which are two different things. But Well, what's the difference? So you've got your inner child as well, which is the young inner child. And the inner child is somebody that needs to be loved, nourished and cared for. So when Mm -hmm. it feels neglected, it reacts in a certain way. The critic is the voice, that internal voice in your mind that gives you that criticism. Shivani, you're shit. Shivani, you're not doing enough. Shivani, you need to do more. Shivani, you're lazy. Do you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm, that kind of thing. mm -hmm. So they're two different things, right? And I think in a way, when you nourish the inner child, then the inner critic can be tamed as well. So I think, you know, they work hand in hand. That's just my own perspective. That's yeah. something that's scientifically um, been said or proven. Right. However, I think that there is a danger of people saying that the problems that we have within ourselves are mainly related to childhood. As you said, it could be as early as being three months in the womb. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of talk and encouragement about literally cutting out parents or what they call, I think, like dissociation or something like that. There's right. a term for it. And I think that's extremely dangerous because I think really your parents did the best they could, most parents. I don't know everyone's parents as well. I and I think there's a real danger in that as well. And we should actually give them grace a little bit because they just had different sort of worries and anxieties and we should be thinking about nourishing ourselves but understand like having a way to be like okay they've said this yeah but I'm okay look I I understand that point and I completely agree where I kind of have a different opinion on it is that in life if you don't know how you've impacted somebody you should be willing to listen 100% so if you go to your parent and you say this really impacted me I would like this to change going forward and they say I'm not interested. At that that point, what do you do? Do you see? I, I hear you. It's very difficult. Because if you're saying that, if I come to you and I say, Rona, 
it's really impacted me the way you said something to me today. And I really care about our relationship and I have a five-step confrontation framework. But, you know, when you start with care and you say it in that way, if I come to you and say, Rona, look, obviously you'd feel anxious because you're like me. You'd be like, shit, what have I done wrong? But if I come to you and I just say, like, look, I really didn't like the way, you know, we spoke about this today. And so, you know, going forward, because you're like one of my really good friends, I want to make sure that we preserve our relationship. And so if perhaps if you didn't speak to me in that way, that would really be really helpful. I'm sure you'd be like, find it hard to hear at first, but you'd be like, all right, I kind of get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah? 100%, but I think... Again, I think you have to be open. 100%. I think open conversations are absolutely key, but I think at the same time, when I'm thinking about sort of the older generation, of course, if you're lucky enough to have parents that have done the work and really mm-hmm. understand, then you're lucky enough. It's true. But sometimes you're not, and sometimes your parents just don't get it, and if they've grown up with completely different anxieties and stresses and cultures and not yeah. been given the tools, you can't expect them to just suddenly be like, okay, let's sit here and have a debrief and, you know, yeah. like work through this all but again it's about how you manage what they're saying it's about almost you being like so okay true. they've said this but also you uh, you being able to nourish your inner critic and inner child and you know there's loads of little different things that you can do so for example one exercise that I found really helpful sometimes I look at photos of myself I was so sweet <laughs> like I was the cutest like ever and what I find is, as they say, imagine saying things to that child in that photo that you say to yourself and look at your face. Like, you know what I mean? You get so sad. I was not that sweet. I had like a moustache and I had glasses and like well, sideburns down I to my jaw. I obviously had like J-Lo hair and was like absolute working <laughs> life. But go on. My glasses were like so small as well. Like, they're actually kind of cool now. I've really eyes lasered. Yeah, I have laser eyes. Literally. Best thing in the whole world, by the yeah, way. Yeah. Talk about them another time. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I... When I look at that picture, if I was mean about that, I'd feel so bad. Like, why are you being mean to this Imagine girl? Imagine with your little glasses. Like, you just never so ugly. do it. I know, like, you'd never do it. Never. And I, I think my mum and dad felt really sorry for me as well, because I remember one time, I remember this so distinctly in year seven, going to PE and I had really hairy legs, like, really hairy legs. Also had laser now, which yeah. is also the best thing ever. But really, really hairy legs. And I remember so distinctly walking into Sainsbury's with my mum and begging her to buy me a razor, like begging her and be like, please, please. I was 11. Mm. I was like really young. I was like, I'm born in July, so I was very young. And I said, please, 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 mom, it's so embarrassing. All of the girls don't have it. And she was really sweet and she got me nair. Do you remember the laser hair removal? But it wasn't shaving. It was just like, it was stupid. It was like, even it stunk. And he had to like rip the cream off. Anyway, I remember she did that for me. But I also remember being like eight or nine because this is when I lived in the house with all my cousins. Hold on, but let's just go back to the nair thing. So then how did you feel like going in? Did kids comment? Did I don't remember anybody commenting, but I just remember being in Sainsbury's and asking and begging my mom. But you know, did you remember having any kind of like, kids sort of bullying you or anything about it no I think I was just very 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 conscious Mm. I don't ever remember anyone bullying me okay but a question for you like where do you think that conscious feeling came from and do you think it's right as a parent because what to give my to do that yeah I do we're conforming as well no because look at the end of the day I I don't remember being bullied but I may I probably was and I went to quite like a mixed school and there was also like loads of people from different cultures there was multicultural school but anyway I just remember begging my mum and I I know that I begged my mum for a reason it's the same as when I was like eight years old and I went into my dad's bathroom Mm. 
actually my uncle's bathroom and I used his shaver to shave the middle of my eyebrows. And my mum was like, off. I you shaved didn't do off. it properly. Oh, God, can we just talk about my eyebrows for one second, right? So I had a bit of a monobrow. I had really thick brows and it was the 90s, right? So it was like all that kind of era. And I actually got bullied for my eyebrows. People made fun of them at school. Aww. I got bullied and I took a flipping razor and gave myself tadpoles. Do you remember the whole tadpole look? Yeah, that's like, what yeah. I had. That's what I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you know what's so lols about fashion is that now everyone wants my eyebrows because they're thick just eyebrows. so thick and like bushy and whatever. And now I get a million DMs being like, where'd you get your eyebrows done? What? Your eyebrows are a whole mood and a vibe. And I'm like, they are a mood. They are a mood. And you know what? Just because fashion said they weren't a mood, they turn into like little tadpoles from being slugs and they're better being slugs. So like, I think it's just like, it's really sad though, because as children, which then, but then I have like a trauma about my eyebrows as well. Like, like I love them now because I learned to love them. But because I was on bullied, trend. But yeah, but because I was bullied about it, I still think like, it's still like very much like on my, like, the first thing I look at are people's faces, eyebrows. Isn't that weird? Well, teeth, I never do obviously. my eyebrows. And like teeth. Yeah, but I like them like a little bit untamed. I forgive you. But I think, you know, it's so funny because we develop it. And again, like, this is the thing with, like, body image, right? Like, I'm very... The critic thing was is that I was really scrutinised for my body growing up. And mm-hmm. that was by my family and also by people at university. And really? I was asked... Yeah, it was, like, pretty horrendous. Like, I haven't really opened up much publicly about it because it was sort of, like, a dark time. But as a kid, I loved my body. Like, I loved myself. Isn't that... Like, I had such freedom and I just... I loved it. And it wasn't until people started telling me when I was young that I was overweight, again, like, in the 90s. And I, and it was, like, kind of pre... Kind of, like, big bum, like, Kim K, you know, J-Lo and all that stuff. So I was like, okay. And then I went to university and... Oh my gosh, Shivani, you could have told me that necklace was the wrong way around. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I didn't actually notice, sorry. And, um, I went to university and I was asked to model all the time. So I used to get stopped for modeling all the time. I used to go to castings. I was in the university fashion shows, blah, blah, blah. And the girls at uni were all white, skinny boarding school girls and they were very much averse to like eating disorders and so forth. And I'd never really been exposed to that in my London multicultural school. Mm. And when I lived with them and they were coming to castings with me and all the shows, they would make comments on, you know, my body and how I needed to lose weight and, you know, the size of my legs and my bum. And I didn't have that typical kind of like Kate Moss body. And it was the first time in my life that I really like got into sort of like a restrictive eating pattern. And I was like, okay, I need to lose weight. And I lost a lot of weight. And people then said, you look too skinny. Do you know what I mean? It's like I couldn't like satisfy anyone. Mm -hmm. I felt so disgruntled. And I think that will never, ever leave me. And then obviously Mm -hmm. like I got over it. You know, it took a lot of time. I went into the real world. I worked. I put on 10 kilos. It was really difficult. I think, you know, once you've kind of gone been like the smallest version of yourself, it's It's really difficult. And I think what was really hard was is that inner critic stays with me day in, day out. And no matter what I do, there is part of me that still looks in the mirror and criticizes my body parts. And I hear those voices. And I don't really know how to get rid of it. Like, there's awareness around it, Mm. but there's a very much, like, lack of acceptance. That is so interesting that you never experienced any body issues. I hated my body growing up. No, that's what I'm saying. Hated every part of it. No, 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 but but when when I was was younger, hated it. I've always had, as you can see, really, really long legs. Like, our legs are literally the same size. I'm five foot nine and a half. I'm five five. And she said I was short, by the way. So rude. (laughs) Five five is a perfect height, actually. Okay, cool. Um, No, actually, I don't think it is. I would like to be five seven. But anyway... My legs are really, really long and my torso is really short mm-hmm. and I put weight straight onto my stomach. Okay. And so growing up, I was always so jealous of everyone who had a flat stomach. Yeah. So jealous. I kind of had like the opposite problem. And it was only until last year where I was so incredibly stressed out in my life where I lost like 
eight kgs just from stress mm. that actually I had a really lovely stomach yeah. and I really enjoyed my abs and it was it was last year when I looked really ill at one point and I remember being like I don't look well like but, this but is not Bali, right but you see how dangerous that is though yeah okay, but then I... today remember I said to you when I'm wearing a tight top like oh does my stomach look fat but you know it's so bad because now consciously I'm like but I used to look like that <laughs> but I'm not really conscious I think I'm I'm not really so conscious because at the end of the day I'm also like I'm so healthy my body last year was so unhealthy but this is what I'm about to say because mm. do you remember Ariana Grande she came out recently and she she said that everybody was celebrating the smallest version of herself. That's recently. what people were saying to me. And half she, the people were saying I'm ill and half the people were like, you, your abs look great. You look great. I was like, I look disgusting. But she said, what you don't know is, is that I am the unhealthiest I have ever been because exactly. I'm stressed. I've got depression. I haven't been, I'm, I'm not sleeping or I'm yeah. oversleeping. And like, she came out and really publicly said that like, don't talk about people's bodies. Yeah. Don't make comments because you don't know what's going on behind that. And when I was at the, like the most tiny version of myself, I was on the borderline of being anorexic. Mm. Do you see what I mean, mm. you know? And people were telling me I looked so much better. And for what? Do you know what I mean? Like, for so what? True. It's just... And it's hard because I think the inner critic, like, develops. And I think that self-love is key. And I, I'm really, really glad that although I am of the millennial generation... Um, that we are having more conversations about body image and body acceptance and that we are challenging exactly. big brands, including fashion brands, and being like, no, not everyone is a size zero who is six and foot. Don't need it's to just be. not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And there are many, many women that are beautiful in all shapes or sizes. And I think that's an exciting thing to be part of. I agree. I think the inner critic definitely develops from people making constant comments. And I think I had such a range of comments last year. People were like, you look amazing, you look great. And I thought I looked really unwell and ill. And it was because I was I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating stressed. as much. I was so stressed last year. I was really, really actually very internally unwell. And then the other people were saying, are you anorexic? Um, you're obsessed with dieting. What's wrong with you? Really? Um, yeah. And it was such a like a conflict of people. But actually, I was really strong in that because I knew that I was really unwell. Mm. And I knew that I was kind of in this cycle where I had to work really, 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 really hard. And I wasn't going to the gym. But it was temporary. And I kind of got through it. And I kind of put that in my mind. And now I feel really healthy. And I think I look much better. Mm. But I think people's constant comments about you will only affect you if you're not securing yourself about something. Mm. So we need to work on not allowing our inner critic to take over. So one of the things that I really do is my affirmations. As you know, I'm so like into my crystals. I'm like obsessed with them. Oh my God, can I have that water bottle, by the way? I'll get you one. You can't have it. It's mine. Why? Because it's mine. I've like, drunk from it. I just feel like the purple and green is such a vibe today, but fine, I'll wait. Yeah, I'll get you one of some sauce. The crystals are whole, are whole vibes. I thought you can say they're horrible. I mean, they're a whole vibe. I They're love so nice. Beautiful. But I wear all my crystals as well. And I know people will think it's like bloody blah, 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 blah. I don't care. I do my affirmations every single day without fail. And, you know, people can affirm different things. This is weird. You know, I started affirming for a new flat and I kept saying, I'm so happy to be living in my dream area in, I'm not going to say where I live. And it came true. Okay, I'm not totally. Joking. But you know what? I'm going to show you the next time you come over mm -hmm. my journal from 2017, where I was working in a horrendous no, actually 2015 was it 2015. Anyways, I was in the worst situation. I was in a job that was really insecure. Wasn't enjoying working on the NHS because of burnout and stress. I was trying mm -hmm. to make Chelsea work because I just started working there and I had no list. And basically, I wrote down like ten things that I wanted, and one of them was like living in Notting Hill, earning X amount, creating a clinic like this. And then I found the diary. 
last year and everything on that bloody list came true. Madness. And I was like, that's just so crazy. But obviously, like, I worked so hard on that. Now, having said that, I do think that the inner critic isn't such a bad thing and you should actually learn to become best friends with the inner critic. Exactly. Your shadow. Your shadow. Exactly. The thing is with the inner critic is that if you learn to become best friends with the inner critic, you can almost allow the inner critic to guide you. Because if you think about it, the things that we said, that voice telling you that you're not good enough has actually propelled you to go even further because you push yourself further. Now, I'm not saying that it's conducive all the time, but it's about when knowing to say, like, listen, pal, be quiet or knowing, you know what? Let's do this. Let's just <clears throat> prove that wrong. You, you know? can rewire your thoughts with the affirmations. Yeah. But you need to be aware of your inner critic to tackle it with those affirmations. Yeah. So whenever something happens and I'm critical about myself, like for example, when I drink, the next day I wake up, I have about three billion thoughts going through my head and I'm so self-critical of the evening, by the way. I will think about every single thing but I said. What is the alcohol that does that? Because obviously you know I don't drink. Yeah, you, I don't know how you don't do that. But I don't what, 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 why does it make you feel that way? I don't know. I think it's. I, I never felt that way when I was younger. I think it just makes you feel... I don't know. I'm not sure. But it's depressing, right? So. Exa- yeah, probably that's why. But I don't drink heavily. I can have three drinks and I'll be drunk and the next day I'll still have those doubts in my mind about what did I say? What did I do? Was I too loud? Was I too this? Was I too that? And I think that by openly having these conversations with people and I've realised, sometimes it's just accepting it. Like one of my friends said once, yeah, you are too loud, but I love that about you. You are loud. Exactly. You are loud, Shivani. And I was like, oh my God, you just said I'm a loud person. She was like, but you are loud. And I was like, oh my God, I want to die inside that you've just said that to me. But she was like, but we love that about you. Exactly, exactly. That makes you who you are. And so first of all, understanding my shadow, my inner critic is like, I'm too loud. Yes, I am loud. Once I accept that I'm loud. You're cool. I know that, okay, I am. So people expect that of me. I don't need to overthink everything a hundred times. And I've spoken about the spotlight effect so many times. You know what that is, right? Yeah. Where it's like, you think there's a spotlight on you because you think everyone is staring no at your problem. Everyone's got their own bloody spotlight on them. Yeah, but also the other thing is, like on that note as well, it's so funny because when I was in South Africa, my best friend said to me that um, there was a guy there and apparently he was like, I love Rona. Like, she's so great. He's like, he's, she's so extra. And then she goes, the thing is like, you're so extra. And we love you. And I was like, what do you mean I'm extra? <laughs> me, extra. It's the worst yeah. thing when someone says yeah. that and they were like but that's why we love you they were like you're like the, the sober version of Ab Fab do you know what I mean like, who's Ab Fab babe you're so young like literally Joanna Lumley you're so old oh my god I can't even deal <laughs> who is Joanna Lumley she's the one that's like blonde and she talks like this and she's really posh okay just like google it later but anyways the point is they're extra Ab-fab. they're extra with like big coats and like do you know what I mean you are actually I'm Ab Fab so this is in Friends where Phoebe's like but you're Friends again she's obsessed <laughs> We haven't mentioned it on this podcast. But in Friends, when she's like, you're flaky. No, what is it? You're scrappy. Do you watch Friends? Babe, I watched like a hundred years ago, pal. It's not a thing anymore. Let's just keep a moment of silence for your rudeness. But anyway, there's an episode in there where Phoebe's calling Monica something and she's saying like, you're scrappy or you're something. And she's like, anyway, they have this whole debate where they're like, how can you call me that? I can't believe you said that. And then she's like, okay, yeah, I am. And she accepts it. Anyway, our whole point here. Acceptance. Acceptance. Really, really important. And then the next point I really want to talk about, boundaries. So boundaries for me is something that I found incredibly difficult, especially being a health professional on social media. And I'll tell you why that is. is because as a healthcare professional it is within you to constantly worry and care about your clientele and your patients, mm-hmm. right? So it, I'm sure you know, because you've interviewed a few dentists and doctors, we take those problems with us home. We, do. we take them home. And because I'm so accessible on social media, 
patients message me all the time. And uh-huh. then if they see me online and think I don't respond, it's don't really care. difficult. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So for me, it's been a really, really difficult boundary. I can't, I haven't actually been able to put it into effect. However, when it comes to boundaries regarding people, I feel there are certain things that I do which allow me to honour my mental health and honour myself. So for example... I had recently been diagnosed with a thyroid problem. And I know that naturally I become very exhausted. And I used to allow people to keep me out really late for late nights, etc. And I would be deemed to be boring if I went home early, particularly because people blame it on my sobriety because I've never drank, etc. And I was always the last person in the room. But now I literally say to my best friend when she's at my house, I'm like, it's 10 o'clock, can you get out, please? Like, that's my boundary. I'm like, love you, but bedtime. This is mine at 9 o'clock. Yeah, (laughs) but I'm like, no, but I'm like, honour me. Like, I want to be honoured because that's my boundary and I know what makes me feel like crap. And my boy friend knows the same as well I'm like I need silence like at 10 30 because it takes me like half an hour to fall asleep I need to be warm like that's my thing I need to be I need to be fed well and mm-hmm. I need to go to the gym like mm-hmm. if I don't get those basic things and even I will be a princess about it for example on holiday like when my boyfriend and I are away I'm like I'm not that high maintenance I know I look it but I'm actually not but if I don't, if I have those basic boundaries ignored, which are important to me, I'm actually not respecting myself and I get angry because I'm trying to please other people. And so my boundary is, if you don't respect my boundaries, goodbye. I've learned to compartmentalise like that a little bit as yeah. well. So I think in terms of boundaries and inner critic, I think I've just learned to just shut the door and leave. How it's do you do that? So Tell me, because nice. I can't. Honestly, I think I've realised with social media, and I think I've, I've learned this through social media, because you're on so many different platforms, there's always someone that's going to critique you. And I've just realized that why am I going to let you ruin my day? I'm never going to get that hour back. I'm never going to get that day back. And don't get me wrong, there are days where I let it affect me. But most of the time, I'm just like, why do I care? I don't care. I literally don't care about your opinion. If you came to me and told me something, I would value your opinion. But if a random person, one, two, three, user four, five, six, Robin Hood, is, is speaking about me on the internet, then I don't need to care about it. And it's helped me compartmentalize my life because I've now been able to be like, you're upset, you're annoyed about something, you're critiquing me for something, I don't care. So why am I going to beat myself up for you? I think for me, it's always been a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy that because I've not had the self-belief and the self-love that I'm good enough, that if a random person says I'm not good enough, I'm like, see, I'm not good enough, that person says so. But Rona, that changes over time. And I think the problem is with that is I have got my external validation from other people. So you're so right. For so long, I always thought I wasn't clever, I wasn't good at anything, I wasn't ever going to achieve anything. It's with time I've had so much positive affirmations from other people and they're from people that I find credible, they're from people who I value, that now I've started to believe that about myself, which isn't probably the right answer, but it's the truth. I guess so. And I guess I've been lucky to have some of that validation, but it's almost like it doesn't exist because it's still instilled. And that's why as well, it's such a complex subject. But the first step is having that awareness. Are you somebody that continuously Mm. speaks to yourself in a negative way? Practice those exercises. Talk to that inner child. Would you talk to them in the same way? Put Mm -hmm. that photograph near you in sight so you remind yourself of that. Understand as well that if maybe history repeating itself, are you responding in this way because of your childhood, because of the way that you were spoken to available unavailable parents being told off being told you weren't good enough neglectful parents Mm -hmm, there's so mm -hmm. many different things and then you work through that and you recognize that it's your response to things that are important and that your trauma doesn't have to shape who you are now you just have to focus on what you can control and I say that all the time you want to influence so many different things and you can you can influence your parents you can influence your friends you can influence people on social media but what can you control your mind exactly and you exactly and so that's what you have to focus on and that's what I really try and focus on now because 
there's this amazing equation by Goro Gopal Das, and he's a monk. And he says, do you have a problem? Yes. Can you do something about it? Yes. Do it. Yeah. Do you have a problem? Yes. Can you do something about it? No. There's nothing you can do. Exactly. And that's why they End say, off. as well for the Baz Luhrmann quote, from, I have to send it to you. I keep telling you about this song. <laughs> but he says, don't worry, but know that... He goes, don't worry, but if you worry, know that worrying is as affected as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubble gum. Oh, yeah. I love that. And he says, the le- the biggest worries in your... The biggest worries in your life probably won't even cross your worry mind. So the things that you don't even worry about, the things that are actually going to happen, you know? Exactly. So, So I think that that's a really effective thing to remember. Also, one thing that really does help is journaling because for me, it's not necessarily journaling in the moment. It's actually looking back on the journal. Correct. And your journal has been absolutely amazing because when I got it a few months ago, when I came onto your podcast, I found that it was extremely easy to write down thoughts in a compartmentalized way. And also it was very clear. So unlike other journals, it wasn't so broad because, and when you have this sort of small manageable areas to write into, it's actually easier. And the beauty about journaling for me is, as I said, not so much writing in the moment, but looking back. Back. Exactly. Like, that's what I wrote then, and look at where I am exactly. now. Exactly, and that's why I put that for it, that question in: What are you proud of today? Because when you're writing something you're proud of every single day, and then you go back, you actually look back and say, "I am really proud of myself for yeah. that. I am really great in that way, and I'm not going to beat myself up for something." And just to close on this, we all make mistakes in life, and none of us are perfect. And if you make a mistake, forgive yourself. You're human. You don't need to beat yourself up for days. Just le- accept it and learn to be better. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to grow. We're all trying to be better. We're all trying to do the best that we can for ourselves. Yeah. And the worst thing you can do is beat yourself up and not get get back up. Exactly. So I'm so grateful to you as well because I feel like we really understand each other on mm-hmm. that. And also surround yourself by compassionate people. And nice people. So when you're feeling shit about yourself, remember what your friend said about you. Yeah, exactly. You're great. I am great. I'm extra. I was hoping you were going to say, you're great, but your response was, I'm great, I'm extra. This is the self-confidence we all need. (laughs) There we go, self-affirmation and self-love.